The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, Philippians chapter 3 is our text this morning. Hey, one of the things that we get the privilege to do here at Story City Church as your pastors is we get to pray for you. And um, there's a card, a connect card out in the lobby. And if you would allow us to, if you have something we can pray for you about, we'd love for you to fill out that card. We pray every Tuesday morning if there are needs that come in. We would love to do that for you. One of the things that we often pray about in our meetings and we pray personally for our people in our city is for their jobs. Anybody currently looking for a job? That's so awesome. Yeah, a lot of us, no shame in that. I, I, somebody asked me last Thursday, would you pray for me about this job opportunity I have? And they told me this morning, I said, I've been praying for you. He said, I accepted the job uh, on Friday. And so we have the real privilege to be able to pray for you guys about things like that. Um, speaking of jobs, how many of you guys have a resume? Anybody have a resume? Do we still do those things here in Los Angeles? Resume? At some point in time in your life, you probably were building a resume, whether or not you actually had a physical resume you were filling out. Remember in high school? Um, remember that guidance counselor told you they used that word you need to be well-rounded. Remember that word? Like, if you want to get in a good college, son, you need to be well-rounded. So remember what we did? We built the resume for college. So we started joining clubs and activities. Some of us weren't even athletic, and we played on sports teams so we could be well-rounded. So somebody was like, hey, um, we want you to be in the National Honor Society. I'm like, what do you do? They were like, we meet once a month. I'm like, cool, let's do it. That's great for college. And then you get in college, and I remember when I went to college at the greatest university on planet Earth, Clemson University. Um, so what happened was when I got to college, I was an accounting major. And uh, I know there's some there's accountants in this room. I saw them when you came in. Don't take any offense, okay? So I was an accounting major, and, and accounting majors have this uh, this, uh, this secret fraternity, this honors fraternity. It's called Beta Alpha Psi. Some of you guys may have been involved in Beta Alpha Psi. I was in the accounting honors fraternity. It was really weird for a bunch of nerds like me. And so, and so you got into Beta Alpha Psi, and, um, and then you had the privilege every single month to schmooze with these big six firms that would come in once a month, and they would have these meetings. And so in college, you're still building the resume. Like, I, I guess I should do Beta Alpha Psi. That'll give me a better job. And then and then once you get out of college, at least for me in accounting, the thing to do was to, to get, go to the big six firm or maybe even go to New York if you worked in finance. So that would open up doors later on in life. Um, think about all the things we do, even in this town, to build our resume. Think about it. If you work in the industry, think about you, how You go to 100 auditions for a USC senior's film that he's doing, and it actually costs you, but you do it to build your resume. You know what I'm talking about? Think about all the things we do to build our resume. Do you ever get tired? You ever get tired of building your resume? Um, you ever get tired of trying to prove yourself to people that you don't even know? Probably if you did know them, you may not even like them. Um, to achieve things that you're not even sure are ever even going to satisfy you in life. Do you ever get tired of building a resume, especially in this town? Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to uh, make a diversion and talk about his resume. He's going to talk about his credentials and all the things that he spent years building. And so Paul is here at the end of his life, and he's taking a, a, um, a view. He's looking back, and he's saying, even my own impressive resume, I'm not even impressed with it. 
And so Paul's got a good word for us this morning. I really think this is a great word for our city today. And those of you who are listening by podcast or internet, some other way, now this may not, you may not even process it the same way that those are in the seats this morning will process it. But I think it's going to be a good message for us this morning. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The title of the message today is Joy in Jesus, not your resume. Joy in Jesus, not your resume. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There's that word we built this entire series around. And we called this series Uncommon Joy. We see this word in every passage we preached so far. And he's telling them, rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on to say, <clears throat> it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard And so Paul has taught the same things about the gospel to the people in the church at Philippi before. And he's still teaching them the same things about the gospel. And he says, it's no trouble for me to repeat the same things that I've told you multiple, multiple times. Maybe you come to church, you're like, my gosh, why do they talk about the gospel every single week? Can I say to you, repeating the gospel is good for those who don't know Jesus But repeating the gospel is also good for those of us who are believers in order to build us up. It's an expression of love for Paul to repeat the gospel to his friends in Philippi. It's an expression of love this morning for us at Story City Church to be reminded again about the gospel. Why? Because it protects us. Protects us from legalism. Protects us from false gospels. So Paul goes on in verse 2. And then he says, watch out for those dogs. Those evildoers. Those mutilators of the flesh. Now, if you're a Bible scholar this morning, you may already know who he's talking about here. There were a group of people um, in Paul's day um, known as the Judaizers, and they would follow Paul around, and they would teach this different gospel than Paul was teaching. And they believed that if you wanted to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first, which meant you had to be circumcised, you had to go through all of these religious rituals, you had to follow all of these Jewish laws, and they said, unless you did so, you were not saved. And so they added to this gospel that Paul's been preaching. And Paul says, um, it's Jesus plus nothing. The Judaizers came in and says, it's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus your credentials. It's Jesus plus your resume. It's Jesus plus your accomplishments. And Paul is saying, it's Christ and Christ alone. And so these Judaizers are placing a burden on the people at the church of Philippi. And the burden's resulting in either pride because they've got all these accomplishments now or it's resulting in despair because they realize these things were not enough to bring joy and satisfaction. Now, verse 3, Paul says this, for it is we who are the circumcision. Now, I want you to hold on. I need you to follow me all the way through the end of the message. Don't click out. Don't watch your favorite sports team on NFL.com. I know who some of y'all are, okay? Uh, hang with me to the very end because I think this is going to be very good. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. Now, listen to what he says. And who put no confidence in the flesh. Listen. True Christians trust and put confidence in Jesus alone. Now listen to me. Everybody finds confidence somewhere. Christians find confidence in Jesus, not our goodness, not our resume, not our accomplishments, not our credentials. Now, 
the next three verses Paul is about to share, he's going to go on to talk about the confidence that he gained. Listen to me. That he used to have because of this resume that he had. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So these Judaizers, they're corrupting the church in Philippi. They're bragging on their Jewish credentials. And so Paul, in the moment, whips out his Jewish VIP card. It's as if he's saying, you want to brag? Well, just give me a shot. So he's going to go on and he's going to list all these things that have given him meaning. Now listen to this that have given him purpose, that have given him security, that have given him value. He had great confidence because of these things. Listen to him. Verse 5 says this. Circumcised on the eighth day. I'm going to come back and explain each of these. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. Paul had these credentials that could get him in any Jewish circle. He was on the VIP list of any Jewish club he wanted to go to. He was the Navy SEAL among Jews. And in verse 4, Paul says this, his resume, all of those things he just mentioned, listen, they were his confidence. Listen to some of the things that he said brought him confidence. Verse 5, the very first part, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning I was born Jewish. I wasn't like these other people who were grafted into the Jewish religion. I was born Jewish according to the Jewish ritual. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Then he goes on to say, I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, meaning he was of the upper crust of Hebrews. He had a family heritage. He had a religious ritual heritage. He goes on to say in verse 5, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now when we hear Pharisee, we think of a hypocrite. In Paul's day, a Pharisee would have been the intellectual, the religious leaders, and the most respected people in society. Paul's saying, I obeyed the religious ritual. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a part of the most respected family. I was a part of a great tradition of being one of the most respected leaders in society. He goes on to say, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. In other words, Paul said, I had great sincerity in what I was doing. I had great passion in what I was doing. And then finally, he says, as to righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. In other words, Paul said, I had impeccable morality. Now think about all these things he said, from ritual to family to tradition to passion to morality. In Paul's heritage, in his schooling, in his upbringing, in his experience, Paul said, I was flawless. He had this envious Jewish resume, this envious list of credentials that would bring anybody confidence in his day. Now, we can't make a one-for-one comparison between the credentials that many of us are building and all of us are building our own resume in our own way and Paul's list of Jewish credentials. But listen to me. Make no mistake about it this morning. We've all built our own list of credentials that we think bring security. We've all built our own resume that we think brings us power and hope. And Paul was uh, saying to us that we think these things bring us self-confidence. The reality is they don't impress God. Now, in verse 7 and 8, Paul becomes an accountant. 
Paul becomes an accountant in verse 7 and 8, and he's going to put his former life up against his current life, and he's going to come to the conclusion that his former resume of confidence seems like garbage compared to what he has in Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Now listen to what he says, because this is important. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now your Bible may say garbage, it may say filth, it may say rubbish. That's the PG, kid-friendly, edited-for-TV version. This may be the only place where Paul used vulgarity. Literally, the word that Paul uses there is, I found that former resume of confidence to be doo-doo. That's literally what it means, you okay? I, I found it to be crap, is what he said. You okay? I was out in the lobby after the first service, like, hey, I wasn't in the service, but I heard you kept saying crap. I'm like, no, that's what Paul said. Paul said crap. (laughs) This is an amazing statement that Paul makes here. Listen to me. This is an amazing statement that Paul makes about his former resume. Listen to it. All the degrees, all the trophies, all the mentions on social media, all the awards, all the national championships, all the books, all the accomplishments, Paul says they're all Crap, and that's the toned-down, filtered version. That's how he describes his credentials. You understand this concept of credentials. Credentials are essentially a key that unlocks a door. You get this, right? Credentials get us a job. Credentials get us into college. Credentials get us on set. Credentials get us backstage. Credentials get us respect. But in verse 9, Paul's going to use another word to describe what they got him. Now listen to me. This is important. Paul uses a word in verse 9 to describe what they got him. And the word he uses is righteousness. Listen to verse 9. And be found in him. The end of verse 8 says that I may gain Christ. Verse 9 begins, and be found in him. Listen to how he describes those things. Not having a righteousness of my own. Now hang with me because this is good. That comes from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, when you hear righteousness, you automatically probably think of some sort of religious term. In other words, when we think of righteousness, we think I'm somewhere on the scale between Mother Teresa and Ted Bundy on the righteous scale, right? Like I fall somewhere in between and we automatically think of this religious term. But listen to me. Let me describe this for you. It's going to be on the screen. Righteousness is whatever you think makes you acceptable and valuable. Righteousness is whatever you think makes you acceptable and valuable. Now, those of you who are longtime Christians in here, hold on for just a moment. Righteousness is whatever you think makes you acceptable and value. It's whatever you put on your resume. It's whatever the list of credentials allow you to look in the mirror and feel value and feel good about yourself. And those change over time, by the way. When you're younger, your righteousness, the things that make you acceptable are your talents and your dreams and your marriage and the prospects of marriage and you're looking for the right person to be married to and you want praise and you worry about whether or not the right doors are going to open for you. And when you're young, your righteousness is something that secures your future, that makes you acceptable in the future. When you get older, that changes. 
that changes when you get older. It's less about the potential of the future and more about the actuality of the situation, what you actually have, your bank accounts, your family, your status. Now listen, the most fundamental human need we have is righteousness. The most fundamental human need we have is righteousness. It's on the screen. And we all find it somewhere. Now listen, the problem is, the problem is, the most fundamental human need we have is righteousness, and it's going to be on the screen right now. There it is. The problem is, only righteous people are accepted by God. Only righteous people go to heaven. And according to Paul, all of our efforts to secure righteousness, remember, righteousness is whatever we think makes us feel valuable and acceptable. All of our efforts to secure value and acceptability and confidence fall short. So what do we need? We need someone else's righteousness. Paul says, my previous accomplishments where I found confidence, my resume, my goodness, my credentials, they're all crap. I found a better source, Paul says, and all of those things are in Christ Jesus. That's verse 9. Listen to it again. Pull verse 9 up on the screen one more time for us. And Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own, that's what he called those, that resume, his credentials, that come from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that does not come from credentials and resumes and accomplishments, but righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in Christ, and what I have found is righteousness, acceptability through faith in Christ. Listen to me. Christian righteousness is important to understand. Christian righteousness is important to understand. Christian righteousness is essentially trading your record for Christ's record. In other words, Christian righteousness says, Jesus lived the life I should have lived. He lived the life that I should have lived, and that life became mine. Jesus died the death I should have died, and that death became his. So I get his life, he gets my death. That's Christian righteousness, exchanging our accomplishments, our resume, our goodness, our morality for Christ's perfect righteousness and assuming the life that Christ lived. And Paul says, in light of that, in light of that, my previous record, all of my good things, they were nothing more than garbage. Paul says, I've finally come to know the one thing I've been looking for my entire life by distinguishing myself above all others, by showing how great and worthy I am by my resume. I've traded that for knowing the one with the most glory. Now listen to what he says. And once I found that, I no longer needed to find myself. How many of us came to L.A. trying to find ourselves? Trying to establish our 
selves. And how many years later have we found ourselves and established ourselves to the point of exhaustion and depression, not living up to the hopes and the dreams that we once have? If you've ever found those credentials, if you've ever found those IMDB credits powerless to bring joy and satisfaction, listen to what Paul says in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Listen to me. So many of us live in fear, so we look for this power to control our lives. Paul says, I exchanged that list of accomplishments that brought me power, that brought me status, that didn't satisfy for his accomplishments that brought me real power. Can I tell you how much good news that is for some of you this morning? Can I tell you how much good news that is for some of you this morning who are sitting there thinking right now, well, I've never had a good record. I've never had a great list of accomplishments. I've never had a substantial list of IMDB credits. In fact, some of you may be saying, in fact, life for me is in burnout. Life for me is in addiction. Life for me is in cycles. Life for me is in pain this morning. Some of you think my list of accomplishments are not that good. Listen to me. Paul had a good one, and he still said it was useless. He goes on to say in verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now Paul is going to talk about a future hope. He's going to talk about how that future hope is tied to Christ's resurrection, not his own credentials. Listen to what Paul says. I know the future is going to work out. I know the future is going to work out. That's a powerful statement. Why? Because Paul hasn't just won Powerball. Paul is in prison. That sounded really Southern. Paul is in prison. Paul's in prison, likely suffering physically, and yet he's optimistic. He's joyful, even though his circumstances aren't working out the way most people want them to work out. So here... Paul has spent this passage talking about righteousness or acceptability. He's talked about knowledge of God. He's talked about uh, power. He's talked about future hope. By the way, all of those things are things that we all hope for. All of those things are things that we all long for. Listen to it. Righteousness. Consider righteousness for a moment. It's this sense that you are okay. This sense that I'm okay in this moment. Listen, Paul says, I've got acceptability. I know I'm okay. Why? Because Jesus took my place. And I'm assured the same future that Jesus has. The older I get, the older I get, the more I hear about death and death of friends and death of parents of friends. Before I came out, literally five minutes ago, I was reading about a former professor in seminary, an old, blind, African-American professor who loved Jesus more than anybody I've ever known in my whole life. He was born blind. He passed away yesterday, and I texted my wife. She's somewhere here. Can you imagine this man who was born blind his entire life, never seen one thing? Funny thing, he painted his house one time. I'm like, 
like that's a, is, is, makes as much sin as a blind man painting his house. And so he's standing before Jesus today. Can you imagine? His confidence was realized yesterday when he stood before Jesus. I can guarantee you. He has said his entire life since knowing Jesus, as you can say as a Christian today, as I can say with certainty today, I don't have to fear death. Why? Because I know death is certain. One of the things that all religions have in common, by the way, one of the things that all religions have in common, by the way, is that they all leave us with insecurity except for Christianity. Think about it. Mormonism. Mormonism is not Christianity. It is not the same thing as Christianity. I used to meet regularly with Mormons in Atlanta. In Mormonism, you're never quite sure if you've been moral enough. Think about Islam for a moment. Muslims live in fear because there's not a guarantee of righteousness. They live in fear of Allah. Think about Buddhism for a moment. Karma, I understand, is in vogue now, and it sort of seems cool now, especially when things go your way. But what about when things go bad? <laughs> you wonder, what did I do wrong? They all leave us with insecurity. But listen what Paul says. But you know what? Those things don't affect me. You know why? Because I'm acceptable to God. Church, listen to me. I don't have to be acceptable to you. You don't have to be acceptable to me. Now, you may hurt my feelings this afternoon. If you go home and you tweet like, man, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard. Or like you tell all your friends, like, I'm never going back to that church again. That was like the worst church I've ever been to. Like you may hurt my feelings for a moment, but listen to me. I'm not losing sleep over your acceptance of me. Why? Because other people's perceptions are not my identity. The same as they are for you. I know, I've talked to some of you. One of the most difficult things working in a city like Los Angeles is that you put your time and your effort into a production, into a play, into a movie, into a commercial, and then you hear all of this criticism about how bad it was and you worry about being acceptable to people. Listen, knowing that I'm acceptable to God, listen to me, means I don't have to live in fear over what you think of me. You don't have to live in fear of what other people, what other writers, what other social media uh, personalities think of you. You have acceptability by God. That's righteousness. You're accepted by God. Think about that. Paul talked about righteousness. He talks about the knowledge of God. By the way, God is what everything you have longed for. St. Augustine once said, hearts are restless until they finally find a rest in you. Paul's talked about righteousness. He's talked about the knowledge of God. Paul talks about power. Paul talks about power. You've been looking for power to change things in your life. The power to know things are going to work out for good in the end. If you know Jesus, in Jesus, the future is certain and it's hopeful. Paul talks about righteousness. He talks about the knowledge of God. He talks about power. Then finally, he talks about hope. Isn't everybody looking for hope, by the way? Everybody's looking for hope. I hope that today's going to be okay. I hope that tomorrow's going to be okay. I hope that Wednesday's going to be okay after the election. Listen, it's election season, by the way. You understand that. I submitted my vote yesterday. I'm not going to tell you what I voted for, but I did not vote for any tax increases, okay? It's election season. You don't have to clap. There's not that kind of church, right? It's election season. It doesn't take long to look around. It doesn't take long to look around and, and see how many people have their hope tied to a political candidate, tied to a party, 
tied to an issue, tied to a measure. Listen, some people are worshiping political saviors. I want to say to you this morning, church, lasting hope will never come from politics. They can never fix our ultimate need. They can never um, repair our ultimate issues. What you're looking for is not in what's happening on Tuesday. It's in Jesus Christ alone. And that's exactly what Paul said. The Judaizers said it's in Jesus plus something else. Paul said it's in Jesus and nothing else. You remember that on Tuesday when you go to the voting booth. We've looked for fame, we've looked for money, we've looked for security and family and power, and none of those have secured us. Paul says, I look for those things too. But in verse 9, he says, what I found was security not in my own righteousness, not in my own resume, but what I needed was to be found in Jesus. Verse 7, Paul says those previous things that I tried to count as security. Listen to what he says in verse 7. I actually realized they were not just worthless. Paul said they actually had a negative effect on me. All of those credentials that I was building, that impressive resume that I was putting together, all of the accomplishments that I would brag about on social media. Not only were they worthless to me and garbage to me, Paul said they actually had a negative effect on me. In some ways, Paul said they were not just garbage and wasteful, they were harmful to me and I would have been better off without them. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you two statements here, and I want you to write them down, take a picture, whatever you need to remember them. But listen, what Paul means is this. Works righteousness, building your resume, building your credentials, and putting trust in those things, it has a way of making us feel superior in such a way that we feel like. We feel like we have no need of Jesus and running to him. That's what happens when we put our trust and our hope and credentials and security and, and resumes and all of our accomplishments. These things have a way of making us feel superior, like as if we have no need of Jesus and running to him for his grace. Now, here's a second statement, and I want you to write it down. We're almost done. The building of your credentials. The building of your credentials. I, there's a way that this message will speak to some of us in this city that it won't speak to the same people that I'm going to see in Dallas tomorrow or you talk to in another part of the country. There's something unique about the city that we live in. And I want to say to us this morning, the building of our own credentials, the building of our own resume may be hindering our acknowledgement of our need for Jesus. I feel like you should be saying amen, but let me just keep going. By the way, I, I come from an amen church. If you come in, you're like, why don't we amen? Amen. I love amens. Talk back to me. I'm okay. Thank you. You don't have to sit here so religious and stoic. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, that demonstrated this concept that the building of our credentials may be hindering our acknowledgement of our need for Jesus. And the story he tells in Luke chapter 18 is of two people. The first person is a Pharisee who inherently would have been known for his total righteousness, his, his total perfection. 
The other was this tax collector who would have had a reputation of corruption. And these two men walk into church. And these two men bow before the altar and they both begin to pray. And the Pharisee who had came into the church with his perceived perfect righteousness began to pray something like this. God, I thank you that I am awesome. God, I thank you that I go to church, that I don't curse in traffic, that I give 10% of my money. Thank you, God, that I am so awesome. <laughs> the tax collector standing by the Pharisee wouldn't even look up. He bowed his head and he prayed something like this. God, I'm the worst person here. I failed miserably every day. God, please have mercy on me. And so the Pharisee came into church with his own righteousness. And then that Pharisee walked out with his own righteousness. And he was no closer to God. Jesus says the tax collector, though, came in with his unrighteousness. He acknowledged, he knew, my resume is worthless. I don't have a lot of accomplishments. And even if I did, God, they would not impress you. The tax collector comes in with his unrighteousness. But you know what he left with? He left with the righteousness of Christ. Listen, it's not always sin that keeps people from Jesus. Sometimes it's our own righteousness. We could call it our own self-righteousness. We love building our lives. Listen, we love building our lives on things that pale in comparison to what Jesus offers. Now this is a last statement that I want you to write down, take a picture of, and remember it and reflect on it today. The great things of the world the great things of the world that are supposed to give us confidence, our credentials, our resume, our credits, the great things of the world that are supposed to give us confidence, they may keep us from joy if they hinder us from following Jesus. Listen to me, L.A. Listen to me, Los Angeles. Pastor Matt, is Paul anti-wealth? Is Paul anti-power? Is Paul anti-accomplishments? Church, Paul isn't anti-any of these things. But what he is saying is that we must go to battle against allowing our accomplishments to steal our hearts away from God. How do you respond, church, when you suddenly have more than you had before? How do you respond? How do you respond this week if you have more money than you had last week? Some of you are like, that hasn't happened yet, Pastor Mac. How do you react when you're recognized for your accomplishments? How do you react when you book that show? How do you react when you get that job? How do you react when somebody recognizes something good you've done? Listen to me. I'm speaking to us in Los Angeles. We live in a city. We live in a city of wealth. We live in a city of influence. 
We live in a city of social media fame. I tell people all the time outside of Los Angeles, Houston exports oil, Detroit exports cars. We export influence. We export culture. We export stories. We live in one of the most unique places on planet Earth. Now look me in the eyes. I don't know if we realize how dangerous these things are to our souls. I don't know if we understand how dangerous they can be. Those of us who are rich, you're like, Pastor Matt, I'm not rich. I'm struggling making rent. If you're still struggling making rent in Los Angeles, California, you're still in the top 97% of people all around the world. Those of us who are rich, those of us who are talented are often the ones who are so much, who have so much perceived security and material wealth that makes us think we never have to seek God. The rich and the materially wealthy have so much of a sense of goodness that it keeps us from knowing our need for the grace of God. And listen, the more you have in life, the more it's going to be a challenge to battle for your soul to seek God. So what should I do, Pastor Matt? Should I give all my money away? Should I stop pursuing my dreams? Should I give up my goals in life? Should I be unmotivated in my job and in my career and in my pursuits? Let me offer you two phrases this morning, and I want to challenge you to write them down and remember them. What Paul would say to us this morning, number one, be careful what you're asking God to do in your life in this town. Number two, don't allow a deceptive resume. Your accomplishments, your credentials, your credits, don't allow those things to keep you from joy and purpose and identity in Jesus. Recently, I've had this uh, warning indicator light that's been going off in my car. And every time it comes on, it comes on on the screen and it says active steering fault. And I'm like, great. I'm like some of you guys. I'm like, great. What does this mean? Like I'm the least mechanical person on earth. I'm like, is this fatal? I mean, is this the car's going to fall apart? The same way some of you react whenever the check engine light comes on. I'm like, I pop the hood. I'm like, well, the engine looks fine. I don't know what's going on here. And so this warning indicator light comes on. This active steering fault comes on. And all these questions are in my mind. Like, what does this mean? Can I keep driving, right? right? Is the steering wheel about to come off, right? Is this really a big deal? <laughs> you know what I usually do? No, what I always do. You know what I always do? I ignore it. And I just keep driving. This passage in Philippians chapter 3 this morning is a warning indicator. It's a warning indicator that the way we may be trying to find righteousness, acceptability, power, and hope are not working. And here are a few of those indicators that may come up in your life. The first half of this passage, that list of credentials is true about you. You're stressed out. 
Why? From trying to prove your own worth and righteousness. You worry. Why? Because it comes from insecurity, usually over your future. You're overly sensitive to criticism. You know what that tells you? It tells you that what other people think of you has a controlling effect on your life. You're jealous. Why? Maybe telling you that you believe you need to be superior to be worth something. Paul says, pay attention to these indicators. And the way to deal with them is not in the pop psychology of today. It's not in the leadership coaching in our culture that would say, just ignore them. Just look in the mirror. Just think positive thoughts. Just try yoga. I'm not against any of those things, but listen to me. Thinking positive thoughts, counting the 10, is not going to fix your problems. These warning lights are telling you They're telling me to come to Jesus. Trust him for your value. Trust him for your acceptability. Trust him for your hope. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never come to a place in your life this morning where you trusted the totality of your life into Jesus' hands. It's always been Jesus plus something. Well, I've got Jesus on Sundays, but i got all these other things to prop up my life. Maybe this morning you need to come to Jesus for forgiveness of trusting in other things besides him. You've offended him because of your sin. And Scripture says if we would come to him and acknowledge who we are before God, sinful, God would provide the solution that we need that we cannot provide for ourselves by our accomplishments, by our credentials, by our resume, and Jesus would do so when he died on the cross. He would provide the solution for you. And now what he's asking you today is to trust the totality of your life, your future, your past, your present, into Jesus' hands. Nothing magical or mystical about it. It don't make you come on stage and say anything you don't want to say. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But in this moment, if you've never trusted your life to Jesus, the scripture calls it repent, turn from your sin, return from the trust in all of these things that you thought brought you power and security. And you turn from that and you look directly at Jesus. It says you'll be forgiven. The scripture says then you will be saved. If you've never come to that place in your life, I want to invite you to do that today. Something magical and mystical. In your seat, we're about to stand up and sing. You can use your seat, your chair as an altar. Just have a moment with the Lord. You say, God, I know who I am before you. I've offended you because of my sin. I've trusted in all these other things. But today, I trust in what you did on the cross for my behalf. You gave me your life. You took my death and you saved me. And you ask him to save you today. And for the rest of us who may be believers here this morning. They've come into this auditorium today, maybe years of building the resume and credentials and accomplishments, and you get your joy, although you know it's a dead end. You get your satisfaction, although you know it's a dead end. You get your security, even though you wake up every single day and you know there's no security in it. You get your power. You get your acceptability from other things besides Jesus. Can I call you today to trust in Jesus alone? Not your resume. Not your credentials. Let's pray. God, thank you for a moment we've had together 
to hear from the scriptures, to be pointed to you, Jesus. God, I pray for people in this auditorium who are wrestling, who are struggling. I put an abundance of confidence and hope and credentials and resumes and accomplishments. Today, God, with the power the spirit of the living God, would you call us back to you? Focus our eyes on you. Trust you. Those who don't know you today, God, by the power of the spirit of the living God, would you change their life as they come to you, repent of their sins, ask for forgiveness, and trust in you with the totality of their life. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And we give you and you alone honor for it. In Jesus' name.